Come on. So great. Good morning, everyone. My name is G. I serve as one of the elders here at the City Life Church. Thank you. Third service, I always get the fan clubs here. I don't know why. First two service is always dry. There's nobody's happy. But third service, I got you. All right, it's great. Well, it's great to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're actually going through our series called The Hundreds Years From Now, which is the book that we're following, uh, written by Pastor Steve Morrow, who is the president of our movement. We are part of the, the church planting movement called Every Nation, and we have churches around uh, 80 nations right now, currently, uh, but we're planning to plant more churches, other countries that we are not there yet. So that is one of the calling of our movement, which is to plant churches and the campus ministries around the world. And this book, and, and it's an eight-week series that we're doing, and today is the last part of the series. And Pastor Chris, graciously give me the last uh, part of the uh, series, which is called Leadership Development. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, the reason why we do these series periodically is to first communicate to you who we are uh, and also uh, what we do, what we do. Uh, there are a lot of churches in this city. Uh, they're doing great works. Um, some churches that, that I know personally, some pastors I know personally, they're doing some amazing work for God. But they have their calling, what they're called to do as a church, whether it is reaching out to uh, the poor people of the society or reaching out to the military personnel. There's a different type of ministry they're good at, and they've been doing this for a while because this is what they're called to do. And so for us, there are certain set-up traits or some of the things that we do and we value because this is what God has called us to do. And so time to time, we want to bring you everybody back kind of deal and say, hey, this is who we are, and this is what we do. So if you want to join us, let's go together. Uh, let's go reach this city uh, for Jesus. And obviously, you've seen uh, one of the areas that we actually are passionate about is human trafficking. Uh, we believe that this is the travesty that is happening in our society. And number, Houston is the number one, uh, uh, the traffic city in the United States. And that's not something that we should... Uh, be proud about, for sure. I mean, I would take Astro winning the World Series, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but, yes, yeah, there's a piece of my heart missing. Um, but it is sad. It is it just, it's happening right around us, and we are called to do something about it. And because this should not go on. Uh, human traffic and slavery is, is, is not... It's not cool. It's not something that should be happening right now. It's happening under our nose. It's all ha happening under our neighbors uh, without even us knowing it. And so make sure that you be educated and know what's going on and, and, and be part of it. Be part of the movement. Be part of it, doing something about it, eradicating this thing, this evil that is present in this city. Last week, Pastor Chris graciously mentioned about what is the importance of the discipleship. How, about, how many of you enjoyed it? If you were here, yes? Okay, good. Five of you. I'm so glad. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, one thing that Pastor Chris said last week that resonated well with me is this idea of what discipleship is, not limited to just one-to-one -one discipleship. But I think that's the misconception that many actually have, which is the discipleship is, I have to meet whether like Pastor Chris or, you know, Jay or, or some elder of our church, and, and I have to be discipled. Okay? But is that it, though? I mean, is that the only thing that is about the discipleship, or is there more? Is there more? As we believe in, in our church, in, in, in City Life, we believe in the holistic approach, which is 
Church, coming to church is part of your discipleship process. You going to the small group is a part of a discipleship process. You meeting with the one-on-one, if you are, it's a process. And also, if you are serving, it's also the process that you are part of. So in a sense, it's not just one way, right? They're limited to this is the way to make a disciple. Eh, I think there's a lot, much more. I think we don't want to limit ourselves to just this is way. This is the way you have to take everybody through. In a sense, we're missing out a lot because you can train and you can equip and you can, you can tell people, you can educate them. But if they don't do anything with what they learned, is that a disciple? I don't think so. <laughs> I think they're missing a component. So we believe in the whole process. We believe that every part of what we do here at the City Life Church is a part of a discipleship process. And today, continuing that, uh, which is the leadership development, and we believe leadership development is critical uh, to, for many reasons. One of the reasons being, which is this book, what this book is about, is building generationally. We're living in a now culture where you know, you probably heard this many times before, which is, it's all about now. What I can have now. At this point in my history, I am the center of the universe. I have to have my Starbucks drink with less than three minutes or else. And we know this, and it's just the center around the self-centered culture, which is, is, that's what the culture is, the direction is going. So we're so consumed with our well-being, my uh, 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 my goods and my priority, everything is my, 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 we never f- tend to think that maybe how about the people that is next to you? But that's what the gospel is. When's the last time you share good news to your neighbor? Yeah. Don't raise your hand. This should be normal to us. But somehow, we're living in a culture because it's so close. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to say anything that will offend them or anything in that nature. So we stop doing what we're called to do, which is being Christian. <laughs> Very minimum thing they were supposed to do, we're neglecting it because we forgot. So that being said, building generationally is not about so much about us, but it's about the next generation is coming. Good example would be like this one. After my departure from this earth, would City Life Church still exist in Houston, Texas. Think about that for a second. Would your children be part of this church? Matter of fact, they'll be leading this church. That's building generationally. And that's why the leadership development is critical for us. If we neglect that responsibility, then we will be just another church that will close because there will be no one that left to pick up the baton. Somebody would have to pick up the baton after our departure. And that's why the generational building is so critical for us. And this book uh, is graciously about talking about many of those things. Uh, One of the things that Pastor Steve actually talks about in this book, now, he calls himself accidental missionary. And here's, there's a story behind that. If you actually got the book, if you actually read it, there is a story of he gets to the Philippines for a couple weeks, there's a mission trip that he goes. It was part of a big team, and he was one of, him and his wife was one of the team. And then he goes there. They had this breakout where the students get saved. Hundreds of students, Filipino students get saved. And they, 
gracious. See, all the leaders, say, they look at Steve and say, I think you need, we really need somebody to stay and kind of pastor this movement that's happening. And so he's graciously accept. That was 35 years ago. 35 years ago, one man was called by God, and his wife was called by God to stay. Every nation, as far as the church is concerned, multiplication that actually happened in, in Philippines is, is studied by the church planters all around the world because, because the churches that spread like a wildfire you know, saying there are megachurches. If you consider megachurch anywhere from 1,000 up or 2,000 up, it's considered megachurches. There's a tens of megachurches. That is every nation church just like this one that are in Philippines all over. All because one man decided to listen to the voice of God. And he had made a passionate decision to raise leaders. And he was graciously stepped aside. And all the leaders that they have today that are leading the church are those that he reached when he was there 35 years ago. And so he talks about a lot of the things that he learned, why is it vital, and he asks this question 100 years from now, would every nation still exist or are we will be another movement that come and gone? And if you don't believe that can be of us, it can easily be of us, Europe is suffering Churches are closing because if you think about it, the Reformation that took place in 16th century, you think it will blow up and it will still be going strong. Many of the churches in Europe are closing. And so, in a sense, was there a clear transaction between the one generation to next and say, you have to carry this torch that's been given to us. Carry it with responsibility, and with a passion, with everything you got, because it matters. And I hope that's, in, in the grand scale of things, every, in every nation, what we're doing, but as a church, as a City Life Church here, we want to be here in, city, in, in this city, in Houston, Texas, that long after we're gone, all of us in this room are gone, our next generation is picking up the torch and running with it. Churches are all over because I believe that we have something to offer in this city. I believe this is not an accident that we are one of the most diverse church in this city. I, I really believe it. Look, just look around you. Just look around you. It doesn't take that long to realize that this is a miracle yourself. Now, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, just come with me to the Korean church. Okay? Or go to Chinese church, I don't care, okay? Or go to uh, some Baptist church. One race, that is it. Sunday is the most segregated day in the entire day of the week. And we call ourselves a Christian, what happened? So this just small miracle that we experience here is not something that we take it lightly. We believe that we have something to offer to this city. That being said, let's open our scripture, go to Gospel of Mark this morning. Yes, we're going to study the Bible together. Open the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. We're also going to read Gospel of John chapter 13.
is eerie silent. Mark 9, verse 33. This is what the word of the Lord says. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road that they had disputed among themselves, who would be the greatest? And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever received one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter answered to, said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He went a full bath from Jesus. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you said, well, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one, another, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. At City Life Church, we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Now, this book that we're about to read and this chapter we're about to go through is in chapter 13, which is called Invisible Leaders. The main focus is the leadership development. And there's a story that Pastor Steve actually shared in this book, which is relevant to us when he said, the 100-year question forces us to think 
seriously about leadership development. If we want to be around in 100 years, we better get serious about equipping and empowering multiple generations of leaders. And that is one of our passion and our calling to make sure that we raise leaders in this church, but not only raise leaders, but raise them right. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves, or even personally yourself, is what is leader? What is Christian leader? Is there a difference? Or is that together? Can we actually have the same idea for the both? Can you actually be a Christian leader that in the secular world doing the same thing that you learn as a Christian leader? Because the definition of a Christian leadership, or I take that back, the definition of a leadership in the secular form is ability to lead, to control a group of people, to carry out the mission. You can check the Webster, that's what the Webster says. It's simply about leading for the mission and ability, but there is one component that's completely missing. You know what that is? Character. Person's character and how you lead. We are fascinated by different leaders. And a lot of times we look at different leaders and how do we examine them is their ability and their success. And that's what we look at. A lot of times I think that is a good indicator, but I'm not sure if that also equates to good leader. Because here's the thing, you can be a productive, full of gifts and talents and full of ability, but you lead horribly. You really don't care about your pupils or you, you people that is around you, the team aspect of it. All it matters to that person is winning. Bring the production, production to the company. It doesn't matter who they hurt as long as they get the job done. You ever heard these people before? Have you ever faced these kind of people before? They might produce in your work. They might produce this great product or they might have great ability to do great things, but that's not the type of person you want to hang out after work. You know what I'm talking about. They might produce, and your number is good because you're part of that team, but at the end of the day, you're not going to go and have a meal together. You're not going to go hang out because you like them, right? But what is in the Christian context then? Can we carry what we learn as a Christian leadership into our workplace? That's the real question. Because here is what I was thinking about this morning as I was coming. It's this two life that we live. There's a one life as a Christian. When you're among the Christian, you act a certain way, talk a certain way, do a certain way. But when you go to your work, you're a completely different person. How can that be? Problem is, I don't think you fully grasp the value of being Christ-like leader. Because if you fully understand the benefit and the longevity, the impact that you can make in an individual's life through Christian leadership, it's far greater than the result that they want you to bring in. 
far greater. Because you're going to impact that person's life forever. Now, isn't that worth it? Isn't that worth doing it the right way? As a Christ follower, we want to lead the right way. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the text that we actually read this morning is about leadership. I believe that Jesus was one of the greatest leaders ever lived in the entire history. I do. It's not because I'm a Christian and because I'm just fascinated by his leadership gifts. I actually am. (laughs) But I think he set an example for us, not only how to lead, but how to live life. We don't have to look to the self-help. You already heard this from me before, so I'm not going to repeat it. You don't have to look to the self-help book to live, how to live on this world. Scripture has given us everything that we need, how to live life here on earth. Ah, yeah, book is good, I mean, but they're saying the same thing. If you really read the book, right, the self-help book, it's really funny to me. This is just how I read. I'm reading the books like, oh, that's what the principle, okay, more shall be given, okay. Be faithful with a little, you know, more shall be given. All these different principles that come from the scripture, they're just rewarding it, I guess. But it's all there. So today, we're going to learn about Christ's model of leadership. How does he lead? And there are these simple things that he does to this grand message that he gives to the disciple. And it's important for Jesus to communicate this because for him, if they miss this, I do not believe. Now, I will take it far as this. I do not believe there will be this great movement called Christianity if the disciples didn't get this. The only reason the Christianity, the gospel spread all throughout the world and for 2,000 years has been still spreading today is because the disciples got the message. They didn't get the half message but they got the full message. And that full message has gone all over the world. But it had to start with them first. They had to get this right. So today's text, verse 1, it begins. Uh, In verse 33, he came to Capernaum. Stop there. Before he actually arrived to Capernaum, let's see what he has accomplished, okay? Before he actually arrived to Galilee, Capernaum, he has just fed 5,000. That's not including women and children. He walked on water. He healed and cast out demons. And after that, he fed another 4,000, not including women and children. Gave sight to a blind man. And he predicted his death and resurrection multiple times to his disciples. Not only that, he transfigured on the mountain. And finally, he arrives to Capernaum after all this great event has taken place. But that's not all. There's one that is missing, which we read this morning. From all these great things that are happening around the disciples, disciples decide to have a conversation. And this conversation is very interesting because you are talking about who is the greatest. But there's Jesus. They're talking among them. They're disputing. So they're arguing, right? So think about it this way. I wasn't there, but I always like to draw a picture. They're probably arguing. Peter is probably the first one. I am the greatest. Look at me. I'm leading you guys, am I? (laughs) And the disciples said, no, 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 Peter. 
Jesus called you Satan. You are not the greatest. Remember that one time? Get behind me, Satan. So they probably called him and said, no, no, you're not the greatest. And then James and John step up and say, you know what? We're brothers. We have multiple, you know, multiple power. We're sons of thunders. That's what they call it. And the disciples probably disputed among that even fact and say, no, 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 bro. You brought in your mom to get your position. You remember that story? <laughs> Come on, man. You're going to call your mom? And so dispute went on. I'm sure Jesus was probably leading and walking in the street. As on the way to Capernaum, he's probably hearing all this. And I'm sure they never arrived to death who is the greatest. Because they all thought that they were the greatest, I'm sure. And so they arrive at the house. And when he was in the house, he asked them. Now, it's interesting to me. He did not confront his disciples when they were actually disputing among themselves. Great leader never embarrasses their followers in front of the crowd. Never. Now, there is a style of a leader that I have seen that they, their whole goal is to make your life miserable. Calling names. I played football for your bench. I had one coach. I mean, his mouth, I mean, I, the things that came out of his mouth is, is fascinating. It's, I mean, he will make up stuff that I'm like, did, what did you say? <laughs> what did you just say? I don't even know what that is, but that just sounds so bad. But Jesus in this story doesn't confront them on the road because he could easily done it, I believe. These are his disciples. These are who one's going to take over after his departure. So it will be only right for him to correct this silly question of who's the greatest when Jesus himself being there. I mean, that's just kind of silly, isn't it? Jesus is right there. and They're talking about who's the greatest. Uh, duh, Jesus is the greatest in this crowd, but here you are. But he waited until he gets to the home. What a leader he is. And then he asked him, even though he knew probably, what was it you distributed among yourself on the road? Jesus knew. He didn't, it's not like he didn't know. But look at the disciples, what they do. But they kept silent. They got caught. You know, when you do something wrong and, you know, your parents find out about it and address to you and you just keep real silent. Because they were discussing among themselves what is the greatest, who will be the greatest. And verse 35, he first sat down. And I think that we can talk about that too. And then he calls the 12. This will be one of the teachable moment for the teacher to teach his followers. Not only is he a great leader, but he's also a great teacher willing to let them get comfortable so that they can hear one of the greatest lessons about leadership that they will ever have ever able to adopt in their life. And he said it this way, if anyone desires to be first, and I will reword even, if anyone desires to be a leader, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's quite contrary to what the world definition of leader is. Leader is this individual 
that has all the ability in the world and tell them what to do so they can get the job done. What leader is not? There's a picture that I want to show you. Some say this is a leadership who sits on the throne and tell the people to do your work. I'm sure you have some of those bosses, right? Don't raise your hand. They're out there. This is not leading. You know what this is? Enslaving. It's a slavery. <laughs> this is what they did. Egyptians did it to Israelites. Okay? There was no leadership here. This is not a leadership. This is a slavery. Telling people what to do is not a leadership. But there's another picture that the leaders in the front carrying the part of the load, setting the example as they lead. Quite unique thing happened when this happened. So you see, this leader is leading the men that's behind them. What is most fascinating thing about this picture is that after that front leader is no longer leading, one of these three would do the same. Creating this generation of leaders that would do it the right way. I like this picture a lot because it kind of shows what Christian leadership truly looked like. Because we see that everything that Jesus said, becoming the last of all, becoming a servant of all, and we read this morning Jesus taking off his garments, putting on a robe, putting down the robe, guarding himself with a towel, and washing the disciples' feet. And this event, this event, this washing of feet, usually done by the slaves or servants as you enter the house. Clearly, this is not a job of a leader. In the worldly standard, that's what we will say. Washing somebody's feet? How can that be a leader? Jesus clearly was communicating something. What servant leader truly look like? Leader who serve. Leader who exemplify. Leader setting by example, not just lording over them, like the first picture we saw. They're leading by example. They themselves are doing it. It's not like they themselves not do what they say they do. They are men of their words. They're doing it. So much for they're in the front actually leading. That's what the leader truly looked like. David Kraft, in his book, Leaders Who Last, gives a great definition of a Christian leader. It's what he says. A Christian leader is a humble, God-dependent, team-playing servant of God who is called by God to shepherd, develop, equip, and empower a specific group of believers to accomplish an agreed-upon vision from God. And this is why it is very important for us, even as we lead in this church, that we lead with the right way, that we will lead you well, and I don't know about you, and time to time we have this conversation. 
among pastors and elders is, are we leading well? Are, are we leading you well? Are, are we setting a good example for our flocks? Does it even matter? And these are constant reminder and constant question that we ask ourselves so that we do not slip and lead grudgingly or not the right way. And I must say, as I stand up here before you, the men that I lead together, Pastor Chris and Elder Jay, Scott, Eric, these are finest men that I ever encountered in my life. And for that, I'm comfortable. I believe I'm the least among these leaders. Sometimes I ask my question, how did I even get to this place? But I'm grateful to be leading with these men because these men actually truly cares about each and every one of you. I know we're getting bigger. The Lord has been multiplying us and our church size is getting bigger and more people will come. But here's what I do know. That we are raising leaders in this house that will ultimately glorify God. That will exemplify Him on this earth. And for that, I am thankful. I'm thankful to be part of a church that we are serious about leadership development. And you're probably wondering, what do we do for leadership development? And here are a few things. We, there are different conferences that we actually go. Every year and every three years, there is a world conference that we actually encourage every member to go. Because when you are in this church, size of four to 500 member church, that you think that this is it. But when you go to these conferences and you see the nations that are present, passionate about God, passionate about their own prospect cities, to preach the gospel, to save souls that are desperately need the word of God, the saving grace of God. And that's why we go to these conferences. Next one is engage training. And Israel study tours that we're actually going to talk about today after the service is one way we equip and empower our leaders. And next year, we are extremely excited about starting our Christian education here at the City Life Church. And it has long been waited, but the time is right. It's called Leadership 215. And this is a seminary-like course. It's not as an extensive seminary, but we talk about different topics, Old Testament, New Testament, how to read the Bible, evangelism, leadership, church history, theology, different things that you, so that we may be equipped for the work of ministry. Because we believe that every single one of you are called if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you have confessed with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you are called. What you do with your calling, though, is for you to decide what would you do with the responsibility that's been given to you, the message of the good news, the gospel, the saving knowledge of God, the saving grace of God that's been given to you. What would you do with it? 
We want to help you. We want to equip you. We want to empower you so that you may go to your areas, your family, your work, your school, grocery store, that you may be able to give the good news, the hope of the gospel to this dying world. I'll end with this. I'd like to ask our worship team to come up this morning. You know, we don't have to look far to see what leader, the true leader, look like. And I hope and I believe the leaders in this house are imitating the model, one and only model, who is our Lord Jesus. You see, the gospel or the Bible is not short of leadership examples. There are some good ones. There are different characters that have done great things for God, but they always fall short. Samson, with full of gifts, strength of an ox, he can take out the enemies. 300 Philistines with a jawbone, this scripture says. But what he did with this gift is something that we need to study. You see, at the end of it, when he was... He lost both of his eyes, and he's about to encounter his death. He asked God to give him the power one more time. But his words alarms me because he says not to glorify God, but he says, so I can avenge, revenge for one of my eyes. David, great man of God, commits adultery and then lies and cheats and murders his own man that's been with them thick and thin. How about Solomon, the wisest man ever lived in history? We actually read Proverbs, great wisdom. Is it a model? I said no. Still not enough. And here's why. Because Solomon, with his all wisdom, understanding all things, he turned the heart of Israel away from God. And it was only until the Son of God appeared in history, the Savior of the world, who willing to lay down his own life for us, set the example for you and I on how to lead. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus,
every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful this morning that you have given us an example, the model that we can trust and imitate and live. You're calling forth your children to become more like you each and every day, that the world may know who you are. I ask you, Lord God, transform us into the image of your son help us to lead teach us how to lead and help us to do it the right way we ask you we plead before you in Jesus name Amen